Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Dr. John Martini with us as we talk about reaching your full potential. Do you find, John, that at this point more people are depressed than ever before? Can you sense that? Well, I believe that people, I would say depression is a comparison of your current reality to an unrealistic expectation you're having or a fantasy or even a delusion in some cases about how life's supposed to be. And as long as people have expectations to live in other people's values, expectations of one-sided outcomes, expectations to achieve things that aren't really meaningful to them, expectations to be like somebody that's got a different set of values, they automatically are setting themselves up for depression. And instead of just blaming a biochemical imbalance by your pharmaceutical companies, my advice is to actually go in there and look at what you're comparing your life to and find out if that, what your fantasy is, it won't be the drawbacks to it. And what's the benefit of what you got when you're grateful for what you got and quit comparing it to fantasies about what you don't have, your life is automatically changed in its neurochemistry. And I do this every week with people and I watch this and people come in with, clinical diagnosis and biochemical imbalances, and they always want to dissociate and cause something. It's always outside them instead of looking deep inside of what's going on. And I, I'm a firm believer that the reason why people are doing it is because there are unrealistic expectations in their life. And they don't want to admit it. They want to blame things, and they don't like when I say that. But I put them on the spot, and I hold them accountable and make them answer the questions that I ask. It's dissolved. And then they go, wow, I had the power the whole time. I want people to have their power back instead of giving it away to some uh, pharmaceutical that may cause psychiatric problems in the future. Absolutely. Further ones. Some, some people can handle stress better than others. It's obvious. And uh, some people work better under stress and under tight conditions. What creates that difference in somebody? Stress is the inability to adapt to a changing environment. And there's two primary stresses that we all face. And just two. And that is the perception of loss of that which we seek and the perception of gain of that which we're trying to avoid. And whenever we set goals and intentions or objectives that are not truly aligned with what we value, we, because of the non-persistence towards it, and we don't have the, the inspired actions toward it, we tend to procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. We end up having unfulfillment. We go into our amygdala, which is a subcortical area, and the amygdala is a desire center. And there we want to avoid a pain and seek a pleasure and avoid a challenge and seek an ease and avoid a predator and seek a prey. And that's when we set unrealistic fantasies and end up ending up with depressions. So stress is that inability to adapt. But the second we set real objectives, real balanced goals, and we mitigate the risks involved and we take strategic actions toward them, we're more resilient and more adaptable. And we have used stress, not distress. And then we automatically build our immune system and, and, and literally empower ourselves by living by priority. If we don't fill our day with high-priority actions that inspire us, our day fills up with low-priority distractions that don't. And that's when we build even more vulnerability to the distractions of stress. And stress is not anything but our perceptions. Change our perceptions and balance them out, we dissolve the stress. I do it every week with people in my breakthrough experience. I've watched thousands of people who think they have distress and dissolve it on the spot by asking them new sets of questions and make them real, realize the two sides of life instead of fantasy of one side and the nightmare of the other. John, what do you call your, your clients patients? Is that fair? No, I, I don't practice uh, so much. I, I used to practice 30 years ago. I, I mainly consider them attendees in programs or clients when I consult. 
And occasionally I'll work with clients, you know, on a clinical basis, but that's, uh, those are the few that are the patients. What has been for you in your career the most bizarre case you've ever seen or work on? And a lady, well, I, I can think of, they're just 40 of them came in my mind. As you said <laughs> that, but the first one that came into my mind is a lady who is um, attacked uh, in, a, in a little, I guess you could call it a, a bar. She went in there to go to the restroom, and a motorcycle gang was in the back, and a guy came in and saw her and took her and, Literally covered her mouth or whatever, and took her on a on a journey to a barn. And one hundred men raped her for three and a half days. Oh my God! And she was uh, lost her voice almost from the screaming. She was affected by it. Uh, she was eighteen, almost nineteen when it happened. I met her when she was in her forties. I had the opportunity to spend four hours with her with a television crew, dissolving the experience. She hadn't been with a man since, and today she's married. She's empowering women. She's transformed her life, and it's because she asked a new set of questions. I always say there's nothing the mortal body can experience that the immortal soul can't love. And, it's, and, that, and people go, what? How can you love something like that? But the truth is, it's not what happens to you. It's your perception, decisions, and actions that make the difference. If we blame things on the outside, we don't empower ourselves from the inside. we got to realize that we have command. As William James said, the the father of modern psychology, the greatest discovery of his generation, is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. If we ask new questions, we see things from a different light, we change our perceptions, we change our feelings and neurochemistry, and then we use it on the way instead of in the way, and we fuel ourselves instead of baggage ourselves. What is neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity, the... In the 1980s, there was, there was no such thing as a thought that, you know, we could actually have neurogenesis and growing of new neurons. But around the late 80s or so, all of a sudden, neurogenesis was discovered. And we now realize that the brain is recycling itself. And, and if we don't use the brain, it's like a muscle. Areas of the brain undergo what they call microglial absorption. And we basically eat them. And we have a, a, a plastic activity to the neurons. And uh, then we also have plastic activity, neurogenesis, where we're actually building the neurons when we use them. And what's interesting is whenever we're doing something that inspires us, that challenges us, challenges that inspire us, maximizes neurochemistry, maximizes neurogenesis, maximizes brain function, and we have the lowest levels of destruction of neurons. And we literally have to rebuild our neurons and remodel our neurons according to efficiency of action. So if we fill our day with high-priority actions that inspire us and go after challenges that are meaningful, our brain maximizes its potential. This is neurologic been demonstrated over and over again. Even people with neurological conditions like Alzheimer's and senile dementia, as they call it, they literally have the capacity to try to do some neural changes by doing things that are deeply meaningful to them. You can literally change other areas of the brain and start regrowing neurons in areas that are degenerating. But when we're not doing something inspiring and meaningful and high in our values, our uh, advanced cortical areas, our telencephalon, our frontal cortex, executive center, start to demyelinate. And they go, the amygdala take over, and we start to have, in a sense, a deterioration of brain function, and we end up with almost bipolar conditions and degeneration. So it's so important to fill our day with high-priority actions and inspire us if we want to keep our brains active alive. And feed it with water, which cl cleans out the lymphatic system in the brain, and basically fuel phosphorus foods from uh, fish and fish oils and things that help the brain maximize its potential. This is something I've always believed, John, that if you retire, retire early, and decide to do nothing thereafter, you're going to die a little quicker than the person who continues to work 
and keeps occupied and busy. If you're if you're an elderly individual, and I don't know what that age is because I'm 65 going on 66, so I, I I now think that's more like 100. Yeah, but that's that's the new 50. Exactly. The other day, and when I was 16 years old, I was living on the North Shore, as I said, when I was 17. I was riding big waves. I saw Lord Blair at 65 riding Lonnie Kerr, and I saw him surf Holly Eva, about oh, 20-foot fa- waves, about 40-foot phases, big waves. I thought, wow, 65, I want to do that. So on my 65th birthday, I went surfing on the North Shore. I surfed Lonnie Kerr, and they're right next to Pipeline. Huh. And I did it. So it doesn't matter what your age is except in your head. It's if you fill your day with very meaningful and inspiring actions of the day, you'll stay alive. But if you don't, so people who are doing what they love, they don't care about retirement. They don't care about breaks. They don't care about, you know, vacations. Their life's a vacation. But when you're not doing something you love to do, you want a break, you want a vacation, and you want a retirement. And that's the fastest way to dissociate from reality and start deteriorating. And if you don't use it, you lose your brain. There's something biological that has to do with the brain drying up or whatever happens to it when you stop functioning. We have to keep ourselves filling our day with things that are meaningful. That's why our grandparents come up to us and say, honey, can I help you? Can I, can I clean the kitchen? Can I do? They're always looking for something that gives them meaning because it's meaning that differentiates from the animals, and it's our meaning that, and something that's really inspiring to us that keeps that brain active. Has technology helped us? Social media, smartphones, does that keep the brain occupied? You know, I don't, you know, people, I have all kind of feelings from people that say, you know, it's terrible, it's terrific. I've seen all kinds of mixed emotions about it. Technology is simply a means to an end. You can use it or abuse it. It's a matter of how you use it. If you use technology wisely, you can transform the world. If you use a technology where it's running your life, it can, it can actually interfere with what you're up to. So it's not the technology, it's neutral. It's how we use it. Tell me what you mean by the breakthrough experience. The Breakthrough Experience is a program that I've been doing now 31 years. Um, I've done it 1,090 times in 64 countries. I just finished doing it in Istanbul just a couple days ago. And it is uh, my way of doing everything I can to do what Paul Bragg did for me when I was 17 years old with as many people as I can reach. It's it's something that is just a two-day, 26-hour experience, intense focus on exactly what you have in your life that you want to create, exactly what you perceive is in the way and how to turn it on the way, how to break through whatever the emotional baggage is that's stopping you and how to get clear and concise and get in that executive center and start prioritizing your life and giving yourself permission to shine, not shrink, and not subordinating to outer authorities and allow yourself to build the inner authority. We're not here, as I said, to live in the shadows of anyone. We're here to stand on the shoulders of giants and do something extraordinary with our life. And we and the breakthrough experience, I do everything I can with all the things I've learned in 47 years to help people do that. John, if a parent continually puts down their child, you're not worthy, da-da-da, what happens to that kid? Well, it depends on what, what that child perceives and what uh, happens around him. If the child looks at that and goes, okay, mom's projecting her values onto me, and she's expecting me to live in her values, and she's criticizing me because I'm not matching her values, and that's her lesson, and that's her illusion— and she's not honoring the magnificence of my own values and my own creativity. So mom's got things to learn. If they come from that perspective, it means nothing to them. But if they sit there and subordinate to mom and give her as the authority and believe that her values and her opinions are greater than their own, they're going to probably squash themselves, and they're going to basically not see who's the one that's supporting them. It may be a teacher. It may be another family member. It may be somebody on the, down the street who's playing the opposite side. Always look for the opposite side and center yourself instead of buying into the illusion of somebody's projection. 
We're with Dr. John Demartini, of course, and uh, we will take calls with John next hour. Perhaps you've got a question or a story on how you've reached your own potential or something that you've witnessed. Do you find that most successful people, whatever that definition is for that, are people who have uh, really reached their potential? Well, I define success. Really, I don't like to use the I use the word fulfillment and achievement. The success is sort of a... Uh, an illusion. It's like joy and sorrow. They're like pairs of opposites. And, and one's, so one person's success may not be another person's. Exactly. The second somebody thinks their success are on the way down, as Keo from Coca-Cola said, and the second they're in failure, they're on their way up. Success can make you actually mean that you got a, a small goal that you've succeeded. I always say a man on a mission or a woman on a mission is far powerful than a person who thinks they're successful. But if success is going to be defined individually based on their own hierarchy of values. And the hierarchy of values is going to dictate their destiny. So a person who's dedicated to raising a beautiful family like Rose Candy, her mission statement, which I have a copy of, a handwritten copy, that says, I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. Her definition of success is not running a business, making tons of money. It's raising a beautiful family. And she other did. People maybe, uh, other people, she did. She just didn't put on their last affirmation that lived a certain length. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but at the same time, a person who has a desire to go out and do something social cause or somebody that goes out and decides to run a business or somebody that wants to go and be an Olympic medalist, Whatever is deeply meaningful to them, if they fulfill the action steps and strategies to fulfill that, that's a fulfillment and achievement, and that's what matters. It's not what the world thinks. It's about what you know inside you when you live congruently. And I've done surfing on big waves. I remember surfing a 40-foot wave one time, and there was nobody to watch it. So people could say, well, they don't, they don't give me the eye. Oh, he was successfully did it. What matters is what I did in my own priorities. And if I'm fulfilling my life, I'm feeling fulfilled, and that's an achievement that is deeply meaningful. And to me, that's an individual on a mission. When you were surfing, John, weren't you afraid you were going to get bitten by a shark? Believe it or not, uh, in some areas where the waters are warmer, like in Australia, you're more likely to have something like that happen. But in the cooler waters of Hawaii, we were around sharks every day. I never got bit. Really? The time I was concerned is if I had to slice myself on the coral and I saw a shark go by, my feet up on the board not down in the water, but I never got to, we surfed with sharks every day. We never had them any attack. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of sharks I've seen never attack. That's good. Now you talk about seven areas of life that we're here to empower. Let's bust through those. Well, I believe that each individual has uh, these seven areas. One is that they have a, a quest for waking up their genius and their mind and use their mind to the fullest. They have a quest for doing something that contributes in business that serves people that's in fair exchange and transactions that's equitable, have a desire to have uh, financial independence, to be able to have more money at the end of their life than life at the end of their money. They have a desire to have a deeply meaningful relationship, male or female, uh, that is a partnership that's basically intimate and close and loving. They have a desire to go out and socially make a difference in the world and be somehow leave their, their, their mark in, in society by contributing there. And they also have a desire to have a, a vital body, some beautiful wellness and something attractive, uh, you know, hopefully sexually attractive. And then a 94-year-old that said, do you find me sexually attractive? I said, you, uh, for your age, absolutely. She says it means everything to me. So it doesn't matter what the age is. She said, if you were a little bit younger, I'd take you. I said, if you're a little bit older, I'd take you. And then uh, there's also you know, a spiritual quest, whatever that means, whatever inspires you that's deeply meaningful, that you feel is a mission in life. In any of those areas that you don't empower, other people overpower you. If you don't empower yourself mentally, people will tell you what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, they'll tell you what to do. If they don't empower yourself in finances, they'll tell you what you're worth. 
don't empower yourself in your relationship, you'll be probably trapped in a marriage that's unfulfilling. If you don't empower yourself socially, you'll be told what propaganda to believe. If you don't empower yourself physically, you'll be told what drugs to take and organs to remove. If you don't empower yourself spiritually, you'll be trapped in some dogma that's antiquated and some ritualistic service that you think is going to give you some greater afterlife. But the reality is that if you empower yourself, it's not about what anybody else does. It's what you do. If you empower yourself, the people around you don't empower you. And that's their purpose. When people overpower you, they're trying to get you to empower yourself and get you back in command again. Does stress kill? Well, the perception of distress, as long as you hold on to a fantasy that you fear the loss of or resentment that you fear the gain of, if you take those to extremes, if you see it as an absolute prey or predator situation, it can kill you. You can literally affect your heart and cardiovascular system Absolutely. and literally cause a broken heart if it's a loss of that which you infatuate with or a fearful adrenaline rush that can make the heart go into palpitations and fibrillations. So it can kill you. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.